0: You might like to take out your Bibles, and we're going to be turning to Romans chapter 12 this morning. I saw a, uh, just a, a short clip this week speaking about opening up our Bibles, and it was a, just a, a short video of um, Christians in China, I believe, receiving Bibles for the first time. And uh, it, was, it was amazing just to see the joy celebration, they were holding these Bibles close, weeping with with joy. And it just kind of got me thinking, you know, what a privilege it is to be able to open up the Word of God. You know, we can go up the road to Kurong or even here in our very own bookstore and buy a Bible so easily. Yet in some parts of the world, you know, um, it's not, not like that. So let's be mindful of that this morning as we open up the Word of God. Romans 12. And let me just pray. Lord, I just thank you for the privilege it is this morning to gather together as your people. Lord, to open up your word. And uh, Lord, I just thank you that no matter how many times we've read a particular verse or passage or even the one that we'll be looking at this morning, I thank you that there's always something new that you can bring out and highlight, Lord. Because Holy Spirit, you illuminate the word of God to us, Lord. And so this morning, I pray that our hearts would be just soft towards you, Lord. I pray that our ears would be open. Lord, I pray that the soil of our hearts would be good soil, Lord, so that what is sown today, Lord, would yield a harvest many times what is sown, I pray. And I ask that you would just bring your touch, breathe life into the words that I speak. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 12 and... uh, those you were here a couple of weeks ago, I also preached from this uh, same passage. There's another aspect of it that I want to bring out this morning. So perhaps it's like a little mini-series mini or something. I'm not sure. But um, we're going to be in verse 9, and it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's a wonderful passage there, and we're only going to be focusing on one particular verse, but it's just so good I thought I'd read all of it this morning. And Paul titles this particular section of the book of Romans, The Marks of a True Christian. And it's like he's saying, look, this is how we're to live these are the characteristics or the qualities to look for as we seek to live lives of genuine faith following after the Lord Jesus. And, uh, you know, Paul, in his writings, he, he always moves from, um, from just doc- doctrine, the theological views and things, into the practical and that's what he's doing here in Romans chapter 12 the the best part of the book prior to chapter 12 he's outlining all these incredible things about God you know his mercy his grace how we're saved you know justified by by faith made righteous by faith alone his love all these wonderful things and then he gets to Romans 12 and he's like okay because of all this because of all this in view of God's mercies therefore Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what it looks like practically. So this is where we're at in Romans 12, just these practical um, outworkings. It's important to translate learning into living. We can have great theology, but if that doesn't impact the way that we live, well, it's not really all that great theology after all, I don't think. So last time I, I spoke out of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. I issued this challenge for us as a community of believers in 2018. you know, For us to outdo one another in showing honor. Show of hands, how are you going with that? Is it going okay? A few little slip-ups along the way? That's all right. God's grace covers, enables, empowers us. But this morning I want to bring out just another aspect. It's found in verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in zeal in spirit. Serve the Lord. And I believe that we are called to be a people zealous for the Lord. We're called to be a people passionate and fervent for Him. Not comfortable, not complacent, not lazy even in our pursuit of Him or in what He's called us to do. And it's interesting that this exhortation, this instruction that the Apostle Paul gives has like a, a positive and a negative emphasis. Basically saying the the same thing, just in two different ways. He's saying, don't be slothful in zeal. How do we not do that? By being fervent in spirit. So what do you think of when you hear of the word slothful? What does a sloth do? They don't do much, do they? No. To me, it speaks of a sense of laziness, of comfort, of complacency, of I can't really be bothered, couldn't care less. Being slothful by nature involves in action. Whereas on the other hand, zeal means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. And so the exhortation that he writes here, don't be slothful in, in zeal, is there, I believe, because it's, it's, something, it's a real thing that we need to guard against in our day-to-day lives. I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, have seasons where this issue creeps up where we allow comfort or complacency, where we just kind of cool off a little bit, and it becomes an issue in our spiritual lives. What steals our joy, passion, our sense of purpose and effectiveness more than most other things, except perhaps practice willful sin, is spiritual laziness or complacency. And you know, the enemy would love to leave us and keep us in that place. In 2 Peter chapter 1, there's just a wonderful passage there, and it says, you know, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith virtue, to your virtual knowledge, virtue knowledge, sorry, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, steadfastness, godliness, all these wonderful things that we to build into our lives. He said, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing in your life, it'll keep you from being ineffective, unproductive, unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy, I believe, would love for followers of Jesus, would love to keep them in that place of remaining ineffective and unfruitful. But thankfully, we have a Savior who desires the very opposite for our lives. He came that we would have life abundantly. He desires, his heart for us is that we be effective, that we be fruitful in the things that he's called us to do and in the way that we live. So... These are four warning signs, I guess, I've been reflecting on the last few days. Four warning signs that I've seen in my own life at various points over the years. And There may be more for you. There may be less. I'm not sure. But just four things, very quickly, that are signs, warning signs, that we are beginning to perhaps become a bit slothful in zeal, as the Apostle puts it. First of all, we're not growing. There's that sense of being stagnant, not fresh, not moving forward into more of what God has for us. You know, um, we're called, the Bible says that we're to go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Jesus himself said that if we believe in him, out of us will flow rivers of living water, not a cesspool of stagnant water. It's that sense of Moving forward. Secondly, another warning sign. You've lost your sense of wonder. We become over-familiar with everything. We come to church on a Sunday. I've sung this song so many times before. Instead of it being an opportunity to encounter the Lord and have Him really pour out His grace and His presence upon you, come to read His Word. and I've read this passage a hundred times. Instead of asking the Holy Spirit to... Open up your own heart and spirit to what God is saying to you in through his word in that moment. Lost your sense of wonder. Thirdly, another warning sign. Your heart becomes dull or even hard to the Lord. What I mean by that is that, you know, there's that scripture that says, Search me and know me, O God. Examine my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Well, you don't really want to ask that of the Lord because... Deep down, you know that something's not quite right, but you tell yourself you're okay. Has anyone else find them, found themselves in that place before? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Look at King David, for example. You know, when he fell with Bathsheba into sin there, it says that in the springtime, at the times when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Perhaps it was the victories he'd experienced. Perhaps it was like, yeah, God, will, it'll be all right. You know, I've had some success. I've had some... And he didn't search and examine his heart, stayed in that place of complacency. Finally, passionate about everything else, over and above the king and his kingdom. I can remember times in my own life where, many of you know that I I love sports. So, you know, when things like the Olympics are on, once every four years, you know, if if the 100-meter final's on at 3 a.m. in the morning or something, I'll set my alarm and Wake up and watch it, and then go back to bed. And you know, if the ashes are on in England, I'll start probably later than I usually would or should. Although not so much now, post kids, because you always regret it afterwards. But I can remember this: the Lord challenged me at one point, and He's like, "Would you would you wake up at 3 a.m. to spend time with Me and to pray and seek You, like You do to watch the Olympics or the sport?" And I was like, "Hmm," and I was like, "Okay, all right, I will, Lord." And so for a time. I uh, tried to do that at various, to various levels of success, <laughs> to prove to the Lord that I could do it. So therefore four warning signs. On the flip side, the signs that you are fervent in spirit, that you have a passion that's burning bright for the Lord, is that you are growing. There's that sense of moving forward in the things of the Lord, that you, don't, you haven't lost your sense of wonder. It's fresh in your heart. Your heart is soft and open towards the Lord. And finally, you're passionate about Him. Passionate about Him. Do any of you have sayings that you just don't like or you find annoying? What I mean by that is, for example, a few of mine. You know the saying for those who are studying, perhaps you've heard this: Peas get degrees. Everyone heard that? P meaning pass, pass get degrees. The idea is that just do the bare minimum required and you'll be fine. Well, I don't work that way. Well. I, I never like that saying. Another saying, is, she'll be right, mate. Very Aussie. Well, sometimes she might be right, but what if she's not going to be all right, mate? Another saying that, you know, if you think about it for a moment, it, it just doesn't really work. Take it easy. Take it easy, mate. And look, I'm not having to go at anyone here because I myself have used that term on a number of occasions, but take it easy. well, let's just think about that for one second. Taking it easy. What does that lead to? What does taking it easy lead to? You know the man that um, when Jesus is talking about anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he'll be like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rains come, the floods come, but that the house stood firm, yeah. Well, hearing the word of God and actually doing it, there is often a cost and a sacrifice involved. It can look like a little bit like hard work initially. Putting the foundations into that rock to build the house would have taken some work. The easy option, taking it easy, would have just been to build on the sand. But what happens? When the floods come, when the storms come, there's some issues that arise because your foundation's a little bit dodgy. In Proverbs uh, chapter 24, Verse 30 to 34. This is another example of what happens when we take it easy. The Sayings of the Wise, it's entitled. and It says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, or the slothful one, the one who takes it easy, we could say. Behold, it was all overgrown with thorns as the wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty or destruction will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Of course, I'm not talking about us never being a people who rest. We need to be a people who know how to rest well. But it's that sense of just taking it easy in our spiritual lives that creates issues down the track. You know, I I don't feel like Jesus calls us to take it easy, to be slothful in zeal. He didn't rescue and redeem us. He didn't pluck us out of the kingdom of darkness and put put us into the kingdom of light, his glorious kingdom, just so that we could take it easy. He didn't give up his life on the cross for our sin and our shame and our our forgiveness, paying the price for us just so that we can be comfortable or complacent. He calls us to be all in, all in. And so over and over again, the Bible says that intensity matters, that zeal matters, that wholeheartedness matters. Let's not be a people that settle for anything less. So at the start of the year, it's a good time, I guess, to have your priorities set for the year and think about what sort of year you'd want this to be. And I believe this is a season for us to recognize and eradicate those things in our lives that can cause us to be slothful and complacent, the things that steal our zeal, if you like. Let's not give the enemy a a foothold. The Bible talks about, you know, do not give the enemy a foothold. And that, that, of course, is talking about things like sin or allowing anger or bitterness to kind of fester there and not deal with it. But I believe it also is referring to, you know, tolerating, allowing, entertaining things that are actually going to dim the fire in our hearts for the Lord Jesus. Let's recognize those things and make the necessary adjustments. And often it's the little things That create the issues, the little things that go unchecked, the little things that then end up creating a whole lot of issues in our spiritual life. You know, mosquitoes, they're just little things, aren't they? But in our household, they create a whole lot of issues because our oldest boy, he must be very delicious to mosquitoes. Our youngest, I don't think, has ever been bitten once, and they play in the same places and times and all those things. They live in the same house, obviously. Never once been bitten by our eldest. He gets bitten, and unfortunately, when he gets bitten by something so little as a mosquito, the bites flare up and well up, and they become these big welts, and they're itchy and uncomfortable, and they affect his sleep, and they affect our sleep. And it's just, you know, it's not very nice, but just little things. And a couple of weeks ago, we were there on a Saturday night, and we were just about to go to bed, and then all of a sudden, he wakes up really unsettled and scratching and itching, I'm like, oh, what's wrong? He's probably got bitten or something. So Steph went in, my wife, to try and comfort him. And there he was, scratching away. And then as she just was trying to comfort him, she heard this... <coughs> this mosquito had made its way into our son's room and had bitten him at least a dozen times all over his various parts of his body. And the poor little guy, he was so just uncomfortable and itchy and upset. It was just, I mean, who would have thought mozzies, just such little things, but they create such big issues. And thankfully, Steph killed the mozzie. But if, if she didn't, who knows what would have happened. He would have been one giant mosquito bite. But in our spiritual lives, it's the little things often. That if we don't get rid of, you know, we don't eradicate from our lives, before we know it, there's more and more things that are causing us pain and discomfort and problems. And, and then all of a sudden, we're like, how did we even... Get here. How do I even get in this place of comfort and complacency? And so this morning, if you're in that place, where as I've shared those four signs, or as I'm, as I'm sharing, you feel like the Lord's just highlighting things to you. If you're in that place this morning where you know the fire's gone dim, where you know you've allowed things to steal your zeal, where you've been in that place of comfort and complacency, please hear me this morning. There's no condemnation whatsoever. That's not my heart today. Rather, it's to remind us that there's an invitation. There's an invitation. Time and time again throughout Scripture, we read that the Lord says, you know, return to me, return to me, repent, do the things that you did at first. My arms are open wide. And so this morning, let's purpose in our hearts to take that first step, to respond to his invitation, to come back to that place of first love. All right, so that's the negative aspect of the exhortation. Don't be slothful in zeal. Moving on to be fervent in spirit. The word translated here, fervent, literally means boiling hot. That's what the word means, boiling hot. Paul is describing a holy zeal and passion for God and his kingdom purposes. Some of you might prefer the cold of winter. You prefer winter season. Some of you might prefer the um, summer Warmer weather. Some of you might like the autumn or whatever, whatever season. Paul here is describing the ideal temperature for the Christian life. It's one that's boiling hot. It's one that's on fire for the Lord Jesus. So can we get real for a moment here this morning? Is that okay? Most of us are family here. Let me ask you this, and I'm including myself in this as well, just um, because it's really important that I live what I Preach. So I'm preaching to myself, I'm asking myself this question, we're all in it together today. Okay. What is the spiritual temperature of your heart and life? Not what's the spiritual temperature of the younger generation, or what's the spiritual temperature of the more mature generation, or the issues with the church in the West because we're comfortable and complacent. Not, not all those things, that's not what I'm asking. What is the spiritual temperature of your heart and life? On a uh, Tuesday morning, as we start our work week here at church, um, we start with worship and prayer and that sort of thing. But just before that, we meet at a local cafe, local coffee shop, to have a time of fellowship and coffee. And uh, I'm not a hot drink person, really. I don't drink coffee. I go for the fellowship, you know, growing in that. But uh, a few weeks ago, well, yeah, I don't drink coffee because you know you some of us need it to get through the day. Others just rely on the Lord and His strength to, to power on through. <laughs> I'll probably be shouting on Tuesday after that comment. But um, there was a conversation just before Christmas where it was quite a warm morning already, and I think um, you know, Andrew had got his coffee, and then Christelle and Catherine had ordered iced coffees. And uh, there was a conversation that ensued around the temperature of coffee. And I think Andrew was like, no, if you're going to have coffee, it's got to be hot. It's got to be hot. I can understand that. Whereas the others were like, no, it's, got to, it's either got to be hot or it's got to be iced cold. Can't be lukewarm. Can't be tepid. So who would have thought biblical lessons from the temperature of coffee? Because for a Christian, there's three temperatures of our spiritual lives, isn't there? Boiling hot, our hearts on fire for Jesus. Cold or lukewarm, lukewarm. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, he says, you know, I see your works, I see all your toil and effort, but you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The word literally means vomit or throw up out of your mouth. Moving on. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And a few verses further down, he says, Those I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. There's their invitation this morning. Or in other words, be st- stop being slothful in zeal and Repent. I don't know about you, but I feel like they're weighty words for us to consider this morning. Lukewarm living, lukewarm hearts before the Lord. I'd be happy to spit coffee out of my mouth, but I don't want Jesus to spit me out of his mouth. And you know what the really sad thing is in this case of the church at Laodicea, the believers there. They thought they were okay. They thought they were okay. In their comfort, in their prosperity... They didn't even realize that Jesus was on the outer. In Revelation 3.20, just a few verses further down, it's a well-known verse. Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I'm hearing a Colin Buchanan song. Revelation 3.20. Anyway, for those with kids, you'll know what I mean. He's saying, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. It's often used in an evangelical context, which is fine. But the actual context here is that Jesus is standing outside the church. He's standing outside. He's not there in the midst. He's, he's knocking on the door saying, guys, here I am. Guys, I want to be in the midst of you. I want to be in the midst of my people. Here I am. I'm standing at the door. And not If only you would see. If only you would open up the doors and let me in. If only you would stop thinking you're Okay. And open up and let me come in. Then I'll eat with you. Then there'll be intimacy. Then there'll be hearts ablaze with passion for who I am. I think that's the issue with lukewarm living. We think we're okay. Jesus wants to be in the midst of his people. He desires intimacy with his people. He desires that we would be a people who would be on fire for him. Boiling hot believers, if you like. And so this morning, I want to make it clear that it's not about what I'm sharing. It's not about works. You know, we can hear something like, don't be slothful, be fervent in spirit. We think, right, okay, I've got to toil and strive and work hard to be not slothful and to be fervent. That's not what I'm wanting to bring across this morning. It's also not about our personality. You know, we're called to be a people passionate for Jesus, and it's not about whether you, you think you're extrovert or an outgoing personality or an introvert. You know, you might. Say, oh, I'm not really a passionate person. I'm not really rah rah jumping up and down and you know extroverted and outgoing. That's fine. I'm not really either. We can be quite, we can be fairly quiet, introverted kind of people, but still have our hearts burning with passion, on fire for the Lord Jesus. Allow Jesus to capture your heart and then stoke that fire. So. I want to just bring a couple of thoughts or keys quickly to try and bring this together this morning. Keys to, I guess, stirring up and maintaining that zeal and that passion, that fervency in our hearts for the Lord. Is that all right? All right. First of all, to be a people boiling hot, we must intentionally and continually stoke the fire in our hearts. The message puts this particular verse we're focusing on this morning like this. It says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. William Booth, the uh, founder of the Salvation Army, he had a a saying that he'd say to all new intakes of officers. He said, I want you to always bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. It's the nature of a fire to go out. I've always been fascinated by... Fire, not in a weird pyromaniac kind of way, but you watch you know, in, a, in a fireplace or a, or a fire pit or a bonfire, it's just, there's something about it, it's amazing, you, you receive the warmth from the fire, you watch and it crackles away, it's not a solid, it's not a liquid, but it consumes and burns everything in its path, it's, I just find it fascinating. And I can remember growing up, um, we had a you know, big bonfire one time with some family friends, we went out to their property, and it was you know, a massive pile of wood and branches and all sorts of other combustible material. And uh, I remember them lighting it, pouring fuel over it, and some matches in, and pff, it lit up. And it was blazing, big and bright, and burning hot for you know a lot of the night. And no more fuel was added. No more. It wasn't kept aflame flame throughout the night. It just gradually dimmed down. It gradually got to some embers by the end of the night, making it very easy to put out. And in the same way, our, our spiritual lives can be a little bit like that. As William Booth said, it's the nature of a fire to go out. We must keep it stoked and fed and stirred and aflame. You know, I've seen people once on fire for the Lord, passionately pursuing Him, seeking His presence, doing incredible things for the King and His kingdom. And yet, they're in a place... Now, where they either live with a significantly diminished flame, or worse still, have had it go out completely. And often I'll ask myself, how does this happen? How does this happen? The fire is not being tended to. It's not being stoked. It's not being fueled. Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God. In fact, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Sometimes we need to be reminded that in the busyness of life, in the midst of the trials and the pressures and the things that can steal our zeal and you know um, lead us down a path of comfort and complacency, we need to be reminded to fan into flame. Fan into flame. A passion for the Lord. I talked earlier briefly just about recognizing and eradicating those things in our lives. Often they can just be little things. What are the fire extinguishers in your life? Are they difficulties or disappointments? Are they distractions that steal our time? Are they patterns of behavior? Are they simply not partaking of the things that will actually bring us life? Reading the word, worshiping, fellowshipping together, spending time in prayer. It's interesting that in Scripture, often we read that it's, it's the Holy Spirit that brings the fire. And it's the same for us today. He brings the fire. He stirs up the flame, the passion, but then we keep it stoked and aflame. I love the book of Acts. You know, the early church, there were a people who were on fire for the Lord, full of zeal and passion. They were seeing the Lord do incredible things by their hands. And you know, in Acts chapter 2, we read that the Holy Spirit fell and came in great power. People were filled with the Spirit. All sorts of amazing things were happening. Exciting times, I'm sure you'll agree. And So if you look at accounts like that in Scripture, if ever there was a time where the fire would be in no danger of dying down, surely it would be there. Just after Pentecost, in the early church where the Lord's doing all these incredible things. Surely it would be there. Yet, the interesting thing is, we read several times throughout Acts, particularly the early stages, that the, the believers, they were all gathered together. They were devoting themselves to teaching, to the Word of God, to prayer, to fellowship. What was that, what's that a picture of? They were stoking the fire in their hearts that the Holy Spirit had brought. They weren't allowing it to grow dim. They were fanning into flame the passion for Jesus in their hearts. I think that's why it's so important for us to gather together, to spur one another on, to be fueled and aflamed ourselves, but to encourage others as well and allow the Lord to stir that in our own hearts. So to be a people boiling hot, we must intentionally and continually stoke the fire in our hearts. Secondly, to be a people boiling hot, we must pursue intimacy with Jesus intimacy with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, this incredible story and in the previous chapter, you may uh, remember the story where Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray and there's a lame beggar there and he, they're asking him for some help. They say, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but what I do have, I, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Causes and out Rage, quite a stir in the in the amongst the religious elders and leaders and scribes and that kind of thing, and they, they get arrested and they're released and they're brought before those in uh, power and they preach the gospel boldly, proclaim the truth of God's word. And there's an amazing phrase that the rulers, elders and scribes use. They they said they saw the boldness of these men and they recognized that they were just uneducated, common men. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. They recognized that they'd been with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, I want that for my own life. I, I pray that we would be a people that you know wherever we, wherever we are, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our communities, whatever it might be, that people would look at us and they would recognize that we had been with Jesus. Because when the early church, when the early apostles had been with Jesus, amazing things happened. I'm sure you'll agree. And so for us, I believe it's the same, that when, when we be with Jesus, when we spend time with him, when we allow him to transform us from the inside out, amazing things can and will and do happen. Just turn with me quickly, and we're going to finish here in, to Luke chapter 24. And this is the story just after Jesus has risen and he's starting to appear to some of his disciples. And on the road to Emmaus, he comes to them. And uh, he's walking with them, he's talking with them. And just to cut a long story short, basically he gets to um, interpret to these disciples in the Scriptures all things concerning himself. So he starts with Moses and the prophets and he he just opens up the Scriptures showing them you know, who he was, basically, throughout Scripture. What an amazing Bible study that would have been to be part of. But then in verse 32, when they recognized who, who Jesus was, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Our hearts burned within us, that sense of being boiling hot, on fire, as he walked with us, as he talked with us, as he opened to us. The Scriptures. I think there's something in that for us this morning. Because the spiritual temperature of our hearts and our lives stays boiling hot when we walk closely with Jesus, when we talk with Him. So that's prayer, talking, communicating with the Lord. When we allow Him to open up the Scriptures to us, reading His Word. And when we're in community. That's why I believe that worship, prayer, word, and fellowship so important for us to keep that fire stoked and ablaze, and that help us, helps us pursue intimacy with Jesus as well. And so, just to bring this together this morning, you know, I, I long to see what the Lord will do with a people who are willing to put aside comfort and complacency, who are willing to fan into flame what God has started what he's birthed in our hearts. Whose spiritual temperature is boiling hot on fire for Jesus. I long to see what he will do with a people who intentionally stoke that fire to ensure it doesn't fizzle out. Who know the Lord intimately. And I believe it will be something significant. You know, you look at some of the great heroes of the faith, some of the major players in revivals throughout history. And... um, you know, I don't know heaps and heaps of them, but certainly the ones I've read and researched about. These people could never have been accused of being slothful in zeal. They were fervent in spirit, they were boiling hot believers on fire for the Lord to see his, his name be glorified, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. And so I believe we're meant to be like a thermostat or a furnace setting the temperature in whatever environment we're in. A number of years ago, we were at this, for a family holiday, at this big kind of ranch, homestead thing, and it had this old-school furnace boiler system. And basically, you had a fire lit, and it heated up the water, carried throughout pipes to the rest of the house, and that's how the house was heated. And it was just fascinating. like The house was just toasty warm. It was like so hot, just because of this one furnace that was burning bright and ablaze. But if that fire died down, then the rest of the house obviously wasn't heated or warm. And I feel like that's a picture for us as believers to be on fire for Jesus, to be passionate about Him. And then the heat kind of radiates out of us and causes others to be stirred and on fire. It changes environments wherever wherever God has placed us to be. It's almost like this contagious thing. Setting hearts on fire, turning up the heat spiritually wherever God has called us. So, I don't know about you, but I, I just want to say, Lord, stir it up. Stir it up, Lord. And, uh, as a people, let's, let's stir it up as well in our own hearts and lives. So, I'd love to just invite worship team, or, yep, worship team to come on up. And we're just going to end in a little bit of a different way. we have got a little bit of time. The last few weeks, we've been having early marks every week, but I want to leave a little bit of space for the Lord this morning so would you stand at this point stretch your legs and the worship team is just going to lead us but I would love to just invite anyone today who would like prayer at the very start of this year the second Sunday of 2018 if you would like the sense I have is that you know asking the Lord to come and fall afresh to come and stir afresh that passion that fire in your heart for the Lord. So that's kind of the invitation. And as well, if if, if you want to come and do business with the Lord, if, if you feel like He's been just pointing out things or putting things on your heart this morning, if you want to just come and repent and just do business with Him this morning, to come out of that place of just comfort and complacency, to, to just kind of draw a line in the sand, that would be a turning point at the start of this year to say, Lord, I want this year to be different. I want to be on fire for you. I want you to come and stir it up afresh in my heart and give me the grace to, to keep that fire stoked and aflame. So, if that's you, I would just love to invite you to come forward at this point or as the worship team plays. And if there's uh, the prayer team here that would pray and join Andrew and I as we just lay hands on and pray for you, it's for a fresh touch from the Lord today. So Lord, I just thank you that we've been able to gather in this place as your people. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a year where we are not a people just happy to be in a place of comfort or complacency, Lord, that you would turn up the heat, God, in this place, that you would turn up the heat in our hearts and lives, Lord God, that the spiritual temperature of our hearts before you would be boiling hot, Lord God. I just pray even today that you would stir up a fresh passion in our hearts for you, King Jesus. Come and do that, Lord God. Come and do what only you can do. And I pray for each one of us that there would be a grace, Lord God, to keep that fire stoked and a flame, Lord God, to continually fuel that fire in our hearts, Lord. In the midst of whatever we may face in the coming year. As we go from here today, may we go with joy in our hearts, knowing the blessing of your presence, and having been transformed, Lord, from having been in your house today. In Jesus name. Amen.